get started. So we are getting towards the end of letter three, but we've been spending a lot of time going through the, the footnote in which he describes God as the harmonizer of opposites. And we've been describing the idea that when God created the world, there are two different manifestations of himself that we can perceive in terms of how he interacts with the world. And also in terms of these, these channels, these openings through which God exerts his influence on the world, not a very direct influence. It is this uh, filtered influence because it's too difficult to get close to the essence of God. One of those, one of those uh, influences is what we call Mida, the character of the, the loving kindness. One of them is the characteristic of, of Gevura, of making boundaries. So that was what we were talking about. And we were saying how the belief of many of the Jewish thinkers, many of the Jewish philosophers throughout the ages, there's definitely been a tradition the idea that both things come from God. So I want to finish that footnote with the speak outside what it is that he says, which is a very, very important point. The Gemara tells us, the Talmud tells us in Masechet Pesachim, it tells us, it quotes a verse in Zechariah. And the verse goes like this. It says, And it will be that on that day, Hashem will be the one God and his name will be the one. And the Gemara quotes this verse, and the prophet says, I don't understand. God's name is already one now. So the Gemara explains what this means is that today, it's very difficult for us to perceive everything that's happening in this world that is happening for our own good. Right? So when the Gemilat Chasadim is operating, it's easy for us to say, oh, thank you, God. Thank you for giving me all the good that you've given me in my life. It's very difficult to say, thank you, God, for giving me the hard things in life. That's very difficult to achieve. In the time to come, we will perceive both essences, not essence is not the right word, both manifestations of God will be a lot easier for us to recognize as coming not just from God, but that it's for our own good. The Gemara explains that today, when good things happen to us, we say, Baruch HaTov Behametiv. We say, blessed is the one who is good and does good for us, right? And when something bad happens, we say, Baruch Dayan Ha'emet. Blessed is the one who is the true judge. But when Mashiach comes, and when we reach a higher understanding of God's presence in this world, then we'll recognize that everything is for our own good. And we'll be able to say the same blessing about everything that happens to us, both seemingly good and seemingly bad. So as of now, it's harmonizer of opposites. But there will be a time when it will not be harmonizer of opposites, because in truth, it's all serving exactly the same system, and it's all really part of this unified whole. There is not any duality at all. Okay, so let's continue on page 30. Once he created form and arranged it all, vayivarech, right? And as we find time again in Bereshit, right in the Torah, it says vayivarech, right? Hashem blesses the world. He blessed it with the blessing of continued preservation and continued development. This is a critical, critical point. Not only was everything brought into existence by him, it also continues to exist through him. Every bloom and blossom, every germ and fruit, the young in the protective care of its mother, the infant you cradle in your arms, they are his blessing, all of them. He who created form, arranged and blessed, right? God, at the beginning of the, of the book of, of Reishi, Vayinafash. The nafash is a little bit of an interesting word, and there's different ways to translate that word. If you look in all of the classics, 
biblical commentators, there's a couple of different ways to translate it. Rav Hirsch is going to take the path that was trod before him by the Ramban, Nachmanides, as well as Rabbi Yehuda Halev. So he explains by Yinafash is related to the word nefesh, soul. And what it means is that God removed his soul, so to speak, from the world. Now, obviously, that's an anthropomorphization, right? Obviously, that's not, you can't understand that in a very literal sense. But what the Torah is trying to tell us is that to some extent, God has removed himself from the world. And this is really exactly what we've been talking about until now, with the concept being that if God's presence is too openly manifested in this world, there's no such thing as free will. So God has to remove himself from the world in terms of being open manifestation. By Yinafash, he removes himself. He effaced himself invisible like the soul in the body, withdrew and concealed himself like a soul in his creation, continuing to act invisibly for its preservation and evolving development. This is a very, very critical point that is fundamental to Jewish belief and something that we find. The, there's a seminal essay from the Ramban, Nachmanidi, in which he describes how the exodus from Egypt the purpose of the exodus from Egypt was to teach the world once and for all that there is no such thing as rules or laws of nature external to God who put them in play. That was the purpose of the entire exodus from Egypt, is to show the world that there could be a completely miraculous existence, that a nation of slaves can be redeemed from Egypt, that there could be these plagues, that the sea could split. Every bit of these things were meant to show that God is in charge of everything. And that the, the laws of nature are a facade, but is a facade that is necessary for us to have continued free will. So by Yinafash, Hashem removes himself from the world. And other than that one time in which he completely showed the entire world what was going on, and the reason for that being, obviously, was to make it clear that there is a chosen nation, right? And that's when he disturbed on a completely global scale the rules of nature. But after that, he goes back, so to speak into this Vayinafash, where he conceals himself. There is a soul, but that soul is, our soul, right, is concealed behind our body. God's soul is concealed behind the laws of nature. In fact, Rafersh takes it one step further. He says that the word olam comes from the shoresh, the Hebrew, the, the word olam, which means world, comes from the shoresh, the root, ne'elam, which means to be hidden. That the entire idea of olam is it is a world in which God has hidden himself. Okay, you perceive his work, you marvel at his creation, you glimpse his laws, you enjoy his blessing. But he himself, the creator, shaper, and benefactor of the world, cannot be beheld by our mortal eye. Therefore, when you see all this and marvel at it, when you fathom its laws and benefit from its blessings, right, the laws of nature, benefit from the blessings, bow down and worship him, the one alone who created, formed, arranged, and blessed it, and pay homage to him. The all-powerful, all-knowing, all-just, and all-loving one. So if you remember, a couple of weeks ago when we actually started this letter, what he began by saying is, my dear Benjamin, when we try to figure out what Israel is, we have to first figure out what exactly the purpose of the world is. And then he proceeded to say, don't think that you first figure out the purpose of the world by looking at the world. You figure out the purpose of the world by recognizing what the creator's purpose or objective was in creating the world. So he's tying this back to the idea that everything that we have in front of us today and the continued existence of everything on earth and all of the incredibly complex processes are all subject and dependent on the fact that God 
wills them into existence and wills it to continue operating as, as so. A tribute to the Lord, all the offspring of horses. Now he's going to be quoting a direct quote of, um, of Psalms, Psalms 29. A tribute to the Lord, all glory and power. A tribute to the Lord, the revelation of his name. Bow down to him in raiment of sanctuary. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The almighty one of creation thunders. The Lord is upon the mighty floods. The voice of the Lord is in every force. The voice of the Lord is in all beauty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord shatters the forests of Lebanon. What we're trying to show over here in, in Psalms, and what, what this is trying to exhibit, is to really explain to us in a, in a very powerful way that everything that we see in existence comes into existence because God willed it to be so. And everything that is beautiful, we have to recognize that that came from God. Everything, everything at all in this world comes from God. It causes them to skip like the foal. Lebanon and Syrian as the young Re'em. The voice of the Lord splits the flaming fire. The voice of the Lord affrights the wilderness of Kadesh, which is the wilderness that we travel through in the desert. The voice of the Lord makes the gazelles give birth, even as it strips bare the forests. And in the temple of his worship, his all proclaims revelation. Okay, so what, what is this? What are we trying to tell us? What is this, this Tehillim, this, this Psalm? What is it trying to tell us? It's trying to tell us that if you're trying to recognize the voice of the Lord and you're walking around outside waiting for the Lord to call out to you, you're going to wait for a very long time. What you should recognize is that behind everything of creation, God was involved. In. So if you want to look for that voice, you can see that voice. It's a very small voice because it's out of sight. It's ne'elam. It's hidden, right? God was nafash. He removed himself, right? So you can see it in the world at large. When you walk down the street, you can see it. But you can see it, recognize that it was the voice of God that brought it into existence and wills it to continue. But you want to have revelation that you're going to have to go to the temple of his worship, right? And other than that, you're not going to be able to see it, right? And in terms of this external manifestations. And that was part of the divine plan for the world, that there should be this ability that when we go back to it again, we needed to have free will. And to have free will, we have to have the ability to, to believe in God, but also the ability to not believe in God. And if it would be too open at all times, there would be no more free will. And then the whole purpose of the world would lose its, would lose its function. So that's why we do have this system set up as is. So he's going to continue along this vein. Uh, so we will continue this next week. Ezra Hashem.